0: Egg salad is not delicious. Salt and mayonnaise are delicious. That's what you're tasting. Egg salad is not delicious. Egg salad is
1: awesome. What are you talking about? Egg salad's good.
0: Egg salad's fine, but it's
2: not delicious. I wouldn't... I'm not, I'm not going to rave about it. That's ridiculous. I wouldn't
1: say it's delicious, but it's quite good. Right.
2: Exactly. Yeah. It's not delicious. See? I went through several containers of your actual chicken salad, which is good. It's mm-hmm. good chicken salad. Um, but I also had egg salad to compare it with. And when it came time, like it's what you can tell, you know, like if you feel like you don't have a preference, you can go either way. It depends on what I'm in the mood for. When it came time to pick, I was kind of leaning towards the egg salad a lot. It's the yolks, man. That's what does it. It's the yolks.
1: We should talk about t shirts. All right. Yeah. So uh, it was late breaking news uh, a- after we had recorded that we were able to get everything squared away. Um, between ourselves with Cotton Bureau, who, um, who have been excellent so far. So many thanks to Jay and team at Cotton Bureau. Um, we have two shirts up for sale in case you haven't heard or haven't looked. Uh, one of them, which we kind of call watches, is, um, inspired by uh ricardo melo's tweet um and then jay designed it as pixel art um as everyone expected uh john has thoughts about this pixel art but um it's the three of us with our respective choices of wristwear, and then the other one um is just kind of our logo shirt which is a kind of combination of our automotive heritage and uh, our our current uh Our our automotive and current and and Macintosh heritage for those of us who who are around in the six colors days, which is basically just John. So uh, they'll be up for sale until what third of June, I believe. So as this episode is released, probably about another week. Uh, Don't delay. Don't forget. I cannot tell you how many people have said after the last round of shirts went up, "Oh yeah, I just never, I just never pulled the trigger on ordering it. I just forgot." And so, can you make them again? No we can't so pull the trigger as you're thinking of it get yourselves the shirt if you want i am really happy with this year's shirts especially since up until like a week and a half before they went went up for sale we had no freaking clue what to do for shirts Uh, so i'm really happy with them and uh, you should you should buy one to support the show so thanks everyone who has bought one and everyone who will buy one
2: yep thank you so far we haven't repeated any shirts so again the same thing like if I don't know if we're... Maybe we'll, this, from this year on, we'll just repeat the same shirts over and over again. But so far, we haven't repeated any. So if you like one of these shirts, don't assume I'll just buy it next year because it might not be there next year. Or it might. Um, but anyway, same, same thing with hypercritical Critical shirts that I sold just once and I still get people tweeting me to this day. It's like years later, like... Oh, I missed out buying those shirts. I mean, and and make m- no mistake, these are expensive T-shirts, especially if they you're are. shipping mm-hmm. them. Especially if you're shipping them far away. All podcast T-shirts are expensive. I know. I have I, I have literally boxes in the attic filled with <laughs> podcast and website T-shirts. Um, but they're cool to have uh, And in the grand scheme of things They're actually pretty rare Because who listens to weird tech nerd podcasts And then who buys a t-shirt for a tech nerd podcast Not a lot of people So uh, it's kind of a shame we didn't make it for WWDC. But I think they're fun shirts And I have I had a question for you guys We haven't talked about this on Twitter We ha- No one I believe has spelled out The visual metaphor Of the ATP logo shirt And I've been hesitant to do so Because I feel like explaining it kind of makes it worse but maybe i'm wrong maybe people maybe people would be more excited about the show if they understood what we were going for
1: so would you like to explain
2: yeah I, I, it's pretty obvious connection if you're in the right mindset but if you're not thinking that way it might not occur to you and of course if you don't know anything about cars and you don't care then like explaining to someone who doesn't know anything about cars it's pointless because they don't care right yeah so i guess we're not explaining it then
1: <laughs> no feel free All right, well, okay well since i am chief the only summarizer current... in chief yeah yeah exactly so since i am the only current uh, bmw owner um this is a play on the bmw m symbol which we'll put a link uh to that in the show notes uh basically bmw m is their uh motorsports group and so marco's m5 which we've talked about ad nauseum on the show and certainly was kind of the driving arc behind neutral um The way that logo looks is it's three colors, and there's a story behind them. I think one was Bavaria, one was Texaco, which had a deal with BMW at the time that M was created, and one was just like a purple to kind of blend the two. So Jay at Cotton Bureau, uh, completely on his own accord, like with zero input from us, thought, oh, well, I can take the six colors from the original Mac and then do a kind of stylized ATP and kind of blend our automotive history coming out of neutral and get that like old school mac flair going and get kind of a mashup of the both and you
2: keep saying mac like those like those uh pc users who say uh do you like mac computers is mac making an ipod right. now in all caps. have you been to the mac store
1: <laughs> in all caps I heard, yeah.
2: I heard mac makes phones now
1: i am sorry <laughs> to offend you old man what what was the appropriate it's the apple there?
2: logo it's the rainbow striped apple logo it's a logo they had for like the first you know 15 or whatever years of the company's existence
1: fair enough i i regret the error thank you and god i'm gonna get so many emails well,
2: i saved you from the emails now they feel like it's been addressed
1: um my apologies for that but anyway the point being that it's a combination of the original apple logo and the bmw m logo or inspired it's by not it. the original apple logo i'm saving you again oh my god <laughs> the Why original am I the apple chief?
2: the original apple logo was that was that pen and ink drawing of the guy under the tree uh it's like a uh, coat of arms some emails yeah no, <laughs> no. it's not a code of... anyway Man. yeah I'm off <laughs> apple was good selling stuff. uh apple was selling t-shirts with the original apple logo on them along with the rainbow stripe apple logo and a bunch of icons and other stuff uh on their 40th anniversary i tried to get some i tried to have my minions in cupertino buy them from the apple store at infinite loop but they were too late they were sold out
0: <sighs> actually if we have minions there i need somebody to get me some pens for tiff but yeah let me know I have
2: minions. Maybe you <laughs> have minions.
1: In any case, so please, uh, if you have if you have the means, uh, buy a shirt. Also, uh, John alluded or touched on this earlier, but we do understand. I know it doesn't sound like we do, but we do understand that shipping is extremely expensive across the pond, and we are genuinely very sorry for that. And hand on heart, we weighed that as as a con when deciding how to do the t shirts this year. Um, there are other t shirt vendors that that people use and that we have used that have overseas, uh, presses or printing or whatever you call it. Um, we wanted to go a different route this year and try something different. And I really, really, really appreciate anyone from Europe or uh, or Asia or really anywhere other than North America that has bought one of these shirts because I know shipping is just out of control, and I am sorry for that. But look at it this way. These shirts, I am super proud of them. And if it wasn't for Jay at Cotton Bureau, they would not look anywhere near as good. Um, you should see the the, the illustration Marco sent as a um <laughs> as a, as a like
2: save that as yeah. a great example of patent hands, yeah, really <laughs>
1: um uh, just as as an example of um what we gave Jay with regard to the to the three hands with three wrists, <laughs> it's shirt. really bad. I mean, I wouldn't, I would have done worse. I, I'm not trying to like throw stones. I would have done a much worse job, but that illustration, with respect, Marco, was pretty freaking bad. And Jay made it.
2: Yeah. Because, because the best, the best part about it is that he meticulously drew, I'm assuming on the iPad, uh, yeah, pro with like the pencil, he meticulously drew his watch because like that's what he cares about. <laughs> and then the hands are just these misshapen mutant paddles. It's like hands, hands, whatever. I can't draw. Well, you spent so long in that watch. I get to see you like zooming in and carefully drawing the hands trying to draw your beautiful little swiss whatever the hell watch it is uh, and then the hands are just a mess first of all that is not an exact that is not like an exact representation of any of my watches and i didn't take that long to draw (laughs) well you certainly took longer than you took to draw the
1: quote-unquote hands Uh, yeah (laughs) well yeah So suffice it to say, look in the show notes, you can see Marco's original illustration to Jay and we never told him pixel art or anything. He just took that upon himself and did a just killer job with it. Um, so... Uh, again, just to bring this back around uh, and try to redeem myself as summarizer-in-chief, we are very sorry about the shipping costs. We really, truly are, and we are super appreciative of anyone to buy shirts, but particularly those overseas, um, because I know it is a big ask. And and uh, we 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 really thank you, and hopefully if we do shirts again next year, we'll have some different mechanism for doing this, but no guarantees. We'll see how it goes. Moving right along, we should probably do some follow-up. Clace Jacobson, I'm so sorry, uh, had written in, I don't know if this was via Twitter or an email, but um, they said, after submitting a burst of 20 installs, uh, submitting an iOS app, a burst of 20 installs from California occurs. This has happened recently, but did not happen between October and February. So perhaps there's some sort of automated testing going on when you submit to the App Store, more than just like the checking for private APIs and things like that more recent uh, or uh, more
2: rigorous or perhaps more timely uh, automated testing that that's another theory it's not in the, the follow-up here that i heard a lot is that a lot of people under the impression i'm not sure if it's founded or not that the delays in review like you you know in the olden days several months ago you'd submit an application and it would take like a week or whatever to get through the review process and a lot of people think that's because apple intentionally doesn't look at your application for a long time uh as a form of training to make you think uh, think twice before you submit. Don't waste our time submitting your application if you're not super-duper sure that it's ready to go up. And to teach you that lesson, no matter when you submit, we're just going to sit on it and do nothing. Even if we don't have anything else to do, even if we have the capacity, we're just going to intentionally ignore your app for a week just to teach you a lesson to say, see, it's always going to take at least a week, so don't submit in haste. Always you know, make sure your I's are dotted and your T's are crossed. That doesn't sound like something that makes sense to me for apple as a business to do. Um so maybe I don't again I don't know if these reports were based on inside information or testing or theories or whatever or it was just a feeling they get but it, that doesn't strike me as uh something that reasonable. Maybe if there was something like that it would be like we don't bother looking at your application for the first 4 hours to give you a chance to think better of it if you accidentally submitted but I can't imagine them sitting on it not doing anything for a week. So I'm still uh, thinking that the decreased uh, review times have to be the result of something that Apple is intentionally doing because they want the review times to be shorter, not longer.
0: Well, I mean, there was so uh, this this past week on the talk show, uh, Renee Ritchie was the guest with John Gruber, and Renee, uh, they were talking about this, and and you could kind of tell that Renee has information about this that he has heard, um, and in in the best Renee way, he basically like suggests what the information is generally the, co- you know, what category it is, but doesn't actually tell you uh, anything that would get him or anybody else in trouble. But it, it basically sounds like there was a a significant ch- um, management change in app review, like in some kind of like, and this wasn't, this wasn't Phil taking over the app store. I mean, it might have been, you know, related to that in some way, but it, like it wasn't that change, but it was like some other change that happened further down the line in app review that basically got, some people out of the way who would cause holdups and that is apparently (laughs) and and seeing some policies and that that is apparently uh what the result of this was if you read between the very very obvious lines that renee drew on the talk show last week um so that i think is very interesting also uh i i agree with what you said john i don't think they were ever like artificially delaying things necessarily to to a week because if they were you would have never seen a review time less than a week and that wasn't true you know if you would look at the at the history on um on that shiny development site that was collecting all the all the stats from everybody that still is collecting all the stats from everybody um it 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 fluctuated and sometimes it sometimes it would go you know down to like six days five days and then go back up um I think what instead was the case was, you know, we we know that Apple is very performance metric driven these days, especially in the middle management levels. So I I think they had just defined the performance metric to be, you know, 90% or more or 95%, you know, whatever the percentage is, we want X percent of apps to be reviewed within a week. And we consider that success so that whenever they would start getting, you know, way above that and would start... That, that number would start suffering, maybe they would add more staff or maybe they would cha- make changes to, to get that number back down. But it seemed like they considered that good enough for all this time. And so a combination of maybe changing that opinion, maybe changing that metric something lower, as well as whatever this, this management change was that happened. That I think is, is very plausibly what, what went on here to, to cause app preview times to drop from a week to less than a day
2: it doesn't have to be like a week specifically just the idea that there's there there's excess capacity that apple could review your application but instead let's either decrease staffing or send people home early or like like they're intentionally like the delay is actually part of their policy with an intent that was that's yeah. the theory that, that, that like apple apple always could do this but they were intentionally not doing it and that's slightly different than they had a metric that meant people got to go home without staying for overtime as long as they hit x percent because i can imagine apple being what it is they probably staff so that the people had to work really, really hard to hit whatever the numbers were. They're not like overstaffing and then giving them a low goal and letting the people go home at three every day. Like that's not the way it's working.
0: Right. Also, um, the, the idea of automated app review or, or, or adding another automated step of app review to, you know, before it gets to the humans, that I think has a lot of merit. It's not an easy problem to solve, but uh, if you can have some kind of automation that basically just like try to like push a bunch of buttons in an app. Apple has said on a number of occasions that the most common cause of app reject of, a- of app rejections is that the app crashes during review. So if they can automate a process where they just bring up uh, bring up an instance of the app and just like push some buttons and attempt to in an automated way basically guess how to use the app and just like navigate to different screens if they can cause a crash to happen during that, it never even has to get to a human. It can be rejected right then, go right back to the developer and say, all right, this this failed. Here, try again. And that that could also result in a major time savings for the humans and therefore better throughput for the apps that get through that test.
1: Cool. So Drew Hene wrote in. Um, they said, uh, among other things, it's always been pretty complicated to understand what exactly swiping an app out of recents actually does under the hood. Was this with regard to Android, actually? It was on or Android, because was... we
2: were yeah, asking okay. last week about the clear all button. Like, wouldn't it be fun if clear all just got rid of the pictures on your screen but did nothing to the processes? Yeah. We are now the right.
1: premier uh, Android podcast, by the way. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Material. Um, so anyway, so they, they said it's always been pretty complicated to understand what exactly swiping an app out of the recents actually does under the hood. One important distinction on Android is that the thing that shows up in your recent screen isn't actually an app. It's a task. And remember, on Android... An app can have multiple tasks in recents at the same time, like having multiple Google Docs open at once. When you swipe away an app, it finishes the task, which tells the app that the user is done with that workflow and it doesn't need to worry about restoring that UI state. If the app is doing background work or has other open tasks, its process will not be killed. If there's no more open tasks or background jobs, swiping away an app will let the system know it has the option of killing the process, but it doesn't guarantee that it will. Um, so the clear all button shouldn't have a dramatic effect on system performance on Android, since it usually won't mean that all app processes are killed, but it does have the downside of losing any user state from their open tasks. Um, that's very interesting to me, that it, the way Android works, because I, I didn't know most of that. And it was also interesting to me how many uh, people who seem to claim or seem to view themselves as, you know, nerds, nerds, tweeted about how, oh, yeah, I do that too. And I'm sorry, <laughs> John. Um, which I thought was quite funny. The only uh, feedback that I saw that I thought was very interesting was people who said they wanted to clear it out, not for like battery, not for memory or anything like that, but just because they didn't want that that view, that drawer, if you will, to have a bunch of things in it. They just wanted it to be clean so they didn't have clutter there, which still to me seems a little bit peculiar, but makes a lot more sense than thinking, oh, this is going to save my battery or prevent something weird from happening.
2: Well, they changed the iOS policy to be more like Androids. Like an Android, when you're when you're clearing these things, it's explicitly not killing your application. Like if your application is running background jobs, it lets them keep running, right? And it just it gives it the all. It's basically saying is when I relaunch that, uh don't bring me back to exactly where I was, which is still kind of punitive because it like you're punishing people for like I don't like the visual clutter, so I want to get the rectangles away, right? And there is a punishment for that, which is next time you launch that application, it won't remember where you left off is it will, you know, just bring it back to a fresh state or whatever. Um, it would be nice if all these operating systems, I guess, maybe uh, either took this feature away entirely, in which case, like you just deal with the clutter or uh, gave people a way to like, like the the new uh, Android N, like uh, I don't know if it's hard coded to seven or if you can adjust it, but only show a certain number. So it never gets more cluttered than some small amount, you know, um, or just make it get rid of the pictures and do nothing else right um and and uh as uh, drew said there is still of course an android a way to actually force quit to kill things it's it's more deeply buried but it's there and as many people pointed out to us on ios there is another way to force quit uh applications besides flicking them up you can also do the hold down the power button thing but instead of swiping to turn off the phone you, you hold down the home button or anyway there are lots of ways to uh to force quit things uh but the flicking up of the squares half of it is the force quitting habit and the uh the voodoo and uh superstition about that and the other half is just people like things to be neat and tidy and both of those things have i feel like detrimental effects on the experience of using the phone probably i would say more detrimental than the mental distress caused by having lots of rectangles but i guess that's up to each person (laughs) to uh, decide on their own
0: our first sponsor tonight is fracture fracture prints photos in vivid color directly on glass now you can hang these anywhere you can put them on desks. you can put them on walls you can give them as gifts these glass photo prints look amazing I have them all over our house now. They're, they're everywhere. We have fractures everywhere now. They're, they started out a few in the office. Then they became a lot in the office. Then they spread outside the office. Now there's a couple in the kitchen and one in the den. I think there might even be some upstairs now. And of course, we've sent a lot of them as gifts as well. Fractures are great because these are photo prints on these nice, thin, lightweight pieces of glass and uh, so they have this foam board backing so you can hang them you know you can have a picture hang nail it even comes in the box with the screw you need to hang it into a wall Um, or you can use one of those little lightweight triangle nails doesn't matter these things are nice and lightweight easy to hang easy to deal with they they ship them really nicely so they don't break in shipping and they just look fantastic you have this edge-to-edge print and vivid color of your photo and it can be it can be an illustration it can be a doodle it can be art it can be a photo from your phone or it can be a photo from a good camera they all look good And we have them everywhere. They make fantastic gifts, and they're very, very affordable uh price started at just $15 for the small squares uh, which are great for Instagram they're they're about the size of a CD case maybe if any of you are old enough to remember what a CD case looks like <laughs> um they're they're roughly that size and uh and then of course you know they have bigger sizes uh, up that but you know that size is just like 15 bucks and if you use our coupon code actually ATP10 you can also get 10% off your first order check them out today fractureme.com and use code ATP10 to get 10% off Thank you very much to Fracture for sponsoring our show.
1: So, there's been rumors about new MacBook Pros. They're coming eventually.
0: First of all, um, if you go back to the original article, I believe it's, it clarifies that it's Q4 of Apple's financial calendar that they are coming, which is July. Oh, okay. So, so the rumor is that uh, that in in, quote, Q4 of this year... Uh, which everyone interprets to mean October through December. Uh, Apple will be releasing new MacBook Pros that are substantially redesigned, um, so that they're you know they're going to be thinner, they're going to be lighter, they're going to have the new Skylake CPUs, and they're going to have
2: a few other interesting changes that we will talk about in a second. So, but before you before you before you move on, how confident are you about this whole Q4 confusion? Because when I read this article, my my overwhelming sense of sadness was like q4 seriously how long have we been waiting for the macbook pros to get updated and now i have to wait until like the end of the year like the fall and winter time and then you telling me oh no q4 is not that it's a financial q4 which is different it makes me feel better but how sure are you about that because i have to know how to feel before you move on to what, what's gonna, <laughs> these computers are going to be like
0: um i'm just repeating what other people said so maybe i'm not so sure i don't know now mm. now i'm doubting everything
2: Uh, anyway all i can say is that if if you if you people can't get one of these things in their hands until the end of the year that seems like that seems bad like i mean you can blame intel for a certain amount of the delay but really like we can't get new macbook pros until the end of 2016 if i had told you in at the end of 2014 that there's not going to be new macbook pros until the end of 2016 yeah Mm. i don't like it well, especially it, I think it's
0: it's made worse because of the fact that the the there was such a long delay with Intel's CPUs here um, that they're currently shipping basically three year old CPUs like, like the, the guts of the MacBook Pro that you buy today. There have been there was like the one minor update in mid 2015, but it was a very minor update. Uh, it changed almost nothing about them. And so basically you're buying like two to three year old hardware today.
2: That's the curse of the Pro label. Right? As soon as you put Pro on it, the CPU ages to be three years old in the market. I think that's the new rule. <laughs> yeah, which is, I mean, like, cosmetics aside,
0: I mean, you know, we can talk about cosmetics in a minute. But, like, just the, the fact that, that Apple continues to sell really pretty ancient hardware by computing standards for so long now. You know, we talked about it before. Like, I know why some of these things are this way. Like, I, I know that they that they generally wait until there's, like, a, a substantial CPU update from Intel uh, and that those have been delayed in recent years but that has to change because i know they do care but when they let the hardware age for this long still at the top of the line it looks like they don't care anymore about it and I, again i know they do care but this is how it looks to buyers this is how it looks in the market it looks like Apple is just ignoring the mac
2: and letting these things languish and
0: uh, i don't know if that's true
2: it looks that way to nerds to tech nerds other people don't even know what the heck is in them but i mean where it's a tech nerd podcast no people do people
0: do research you know you you got to give give people credit they do their research and when people are looking to buy an apple computer they go online and they look and they find things like the meg rumors buying guide that says like all this stuff is three years old like like they people do their research
2: they find stuff out they know Anybody who finds the Mac Rumors buying guide is pretty far over into the computer nerd thing. It's a factor. I'm just saying, like, there is is a whole other section of the population that never looks at that stuff. But uh, in the grand scheme of things, even if they don't know, they are still... Even if you don't know or care about the age of the CPU, you are still affected by it because it essentially affects the useful lifetime of your computer because it is a three-year-old CPU, whether you know it or not. And so three years later, you're using a six-year-old CPU, whereas if Apple kept it up to date, you would have more life left in your laptop. Um, And it's not as bad as spinning disk versus ssd where you're you know you sort of prematurely age when you realize that everyone else has ssds but you know maybe you could upgrade yours or whatever cpus don't age your laptop as bad as other things but it's all cumulative and it's basically what we're what we're doing is here as as people knowledgeable about uh you know the platform and the products is we're judging the products how good a product is this and uh, you can't judge it to be a particularly stellar product if the innards are really old and out of date. And as you know, as time marches on and competitor products uh, get better innards for usually uh, less or the same money, you have to judge Apple's products more harshly. And as people who other people might ask about computers who might say, now is not a good time to buy a MacBook Pros because we think they're going to be updated soon. But if we've been saying that for two years, at a certain point, we're like, it's, I don't know if it's bad advice or good advice. We're trying to kind of predict the future of like, you know, should you buy this or should you not? But once it's a three-year-old CPU, even if new Mac Pros didn't come out for another year, you can't really in good conscience tell people uh you should buy this computer because it's a great product you could say you should buy this computer because it basically it's your only choice if you want a mac laptop like you know these are the laptops they sell and a whole bunch of them are bad and compromised in a bunch of reasons but if you need a laptop now you got to get one but i can honestly say that this is not actually a stellar product unlike say the 5k iMac which came out of the gate and was you know good in all the the ways we expected it to be good right
0: oh yeah i mean like the 5k iMac has been fantastic and that has, like, that is, you know, it originally came out a year and a half ago, and then six months ago, they made the updated version. And it's it's a fantastic computer. It is It has new, up-to-date components. It was updated one year after it came out with even newer, even more up-to-date components. Like, that is a healthy release cycle.
1: Yeah, you know, with regard to the date, something to consider is um and we're get we're going to get to some interesting new hardware tidbits in a second but what if one of those hardware tidbits requires a major release of OS10 and that isn't doesn't typically ship until the fall so maybe it is the fall because they need the software and i know they'll do like a point release ahead for a lot of things but i can't recall. i
2: don't th- i don't think today's apple is delaying hardware for software oh except, absolutely it, they are not except for except for new devices like the watch i know you're gonna say the watch but for for laptops i'm saying even if they have a weird screen above the keyboard that we'll get to in a minute like they they'll just work that into the old os if they needed to ship them like they they do that so many times where some boring old Mac is ready to ship, but the, the it, they would like ship it with the new OS, but it's not available with it. So they'll end up shipping. They used to do see that with OS versions. Like they end up shipping it with, uh, with leopard or something when, uh, or not leopard with, uh, with tiger, even though Leopard was about to come out and then people would get it by the time they'd get it in the store, it would still have the old OS with it. And then you'd get it and they would upgrade you for free or whatever. Like, I don't think, especially with OS 10, I don't think that's why they would be holding back this hardware to wait for the software. Unless there's some amazing new feature.
0: No, but he, here's, here's this scenario here. All right. So the new laptop, suppose it has Touch ID, like this report says, and everyone says there's going to be Siri in new OS 10. So suppose it has a Touch ID button or surface or circle or something, maybe the power button, who knows? Somewhere there's a Touch ID thing there, right? And then also somewhere on the keyboard in the, in the F in row, that we'll, which we'll get to in a minute, in the F in row, maybe there's a Siri button. There is no OS 10 version until the fall that will that, that will support those things in all likelihood the OS10 version that comes out in the fall they can't bring those things forward, or they won't bring those things forward. They, they don't feel like bringing those things forward to be to release earlier, because the OS 10 version in the fall also has stuff that integrates with the iOS version that's coming in the fall. And the iOS version that's coming in the fall is tied to the iPhone hardware schedule, and the entire company is dictated by the iPhone hardware schedule.
2: Yeah, that seems plausible. I forgot about the Touch ID thing, but uh, the secure enclave is the other thing. Like Assuming there's a Touch ID thing, that's probably a secure enclave thing, and that's yeah. The screen I say no, because the screen you can write a driver for an OS, but the touch ID and the security stuff, yeah. All right. Well that's that's crappy, but that's
1: <laughs> life. <laughs> so that's All it. Alright, so we've we've bounced off the outer atmosphere of of the changes here, but we should probably <laughs> talk about it.
0: So it's gonna be really Q4 probably. <laughs> it's probably gonna yeah. be like September, October. Okay. Fair enough.
1: Um so there's apparently going to be a replaced f in row where all the f1 f2 f3 etc keys are now little mini oled displays i'm not sure what to make of that i feel like there was a keyboard that like in the pre-kickstarter days but it was a kickstarter kind of project where there was a keyboard that they wanted like the entire keyboard to have little mini displays on each key and the theory was which made a lot of sense to me
0: it was the Optimus keyboard was it okay by the art lebedev studio
1: Yes, yes, that's right. You're absolutely right. Did that ever ship? Uh, yeah, it was delayed
0: for like years, I think, and it ended up being very expensive, but I think it did in fact ship. And now now there's like now like a bunch of keyboards now do the exact same thing
1: you know, since then. But. Yeah, so the the idea being that, you know, all of these different displays can be reprogrammed. So think of sort of kind of having all the benefits of a keyboard on screen like on a phone or a tablet. But it's still a physical keyboard, but you can reprogram what the keys show and potentially what they do and so I can see maybe you have like you know on the current keyboards the f what is this f eight f eight key is play pause well, maybe it's play pause in Finder or by default, but maybe in other apps it does other things and it shows you right on the key like a little logo or or maybe even a logo in the words as to what it does so I can see this being neat, but i I also am not sure that this is something I really need but i'm I'm anxious to see what what they're gonna do with it. What do you guys think i mean marco you you have tweeted about this and don't sound too enthusiastic. Is that fair to say
0: well so the the initial reporting of this rumor had it as the F and key row would be would disappear like the keys would no longer be there It would
2: just be one screen one screen not keys with screens on them
0: right exactly yeah that, that's the initial rumor was that it would be one one like one long strip of of oled screen and it would be touch sensitive and so you would just like push it like it's like it's a skinny ipad screen basically and so that you know if that ends up being if this thing is real and if that ends up being the way it's done i don't like that very much uh at least on principle we'll see you know if they actually do something like that we'll see how it turns out i could change my mind but um i and there was a good discussion about that particular rumor on clockwise this week today actually um so that i think like not having physical buttons to push there on this keyboard that you're probably not looking at like yeah the, the the keys in the f in a row are not that frequently pushed by most people but for the people who do frequently push them, and that you know, the F includes some pretty important keys like Escape, which is like the, your shortcut to cancel dialog boxes, which is kind of frequently hit. Also, frequently hit if you're a Vim user, uh, among other things. A lot, lot of programmers use it for uh, code completion. So, like there, there are, and and as you said, like the media keys, the volume up and down, the play pause, the mute. Anybody who uses the uh, the various like things that used to be called expose that are now lumped into all these other things, uh, and I always use F11 for Show Desktop, like those things, those are very frequently hit by by a good number of users, I think. And so, if you remove those as keys at all, and it's just this this touch surface that you need to pretty you pretty much need- would need to look at it to see what you're hitting. And you wouldn't get that physical feedback of a key press to know that you did hit it correctly. Uh, that is, I I really hope we never get to that point because you know there's a reason why in all these all the effort that that we've put into making things thinner and lighter and mechanically simpler and removing buttons, there's a reason we still have keyboard buttons on computers. Even when you look at the MacBook One. And you see, we barely have keyboard buttons, but we still have keyboard buttons for a reason. And that is that when you are not looking, when you're typing blind, it is way easier and more accurate and faster and ergonomically better to have key switches that move up and down that you can feel when you push. So the idea of replacing this this strip with something, with, with an OLED strip to, uh, to accomplish various goals. You know, the, the benefits here would be you could make, you could put stuff under that part and make you know because it would be thinner it wouldn't need any kind of travel under it and presumably these the screen component could be very thin thinner than a keyboard uh, row could be so you could shove more more of the computer's guts or battery under that area so you 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 save something there uh it would look cool maybe if it wouldn't look tacky so you'd say you know you gain something there
2: you could put banner ads on it oh it's not a chromebook never mind <laughs> yeah there you go
0: <laughs> yeah so like there you could see the reasons to do this and and i should point out also like and you know you can use it for like status things and pc laptops have had displays you know above the keyboard that show statuses of things for for a
2: long time also on the covers and on the back and on the sides this yeah. displays <laughs> on every possible surface of pc laptops there was a Windows feature they were touting like one or two yes. or three years ago. They were like, the new Windows feature is like secondary screens on laptops and it's OS supported and basically PC manufacturers go ahead, figure out where it's a good idea to put a screen and you just try to sell things like this and the OS will support them. And it doesn't seem like it really caught on that much.
0: Yeah. So anyway, like Apple could do this that way with with replacing the F and key, enti- the F and key row entirely with, with a screen. I hope they don't do it that way uh and fortunately we've heard from a certain tipster that that's not how they're going to do it um that that the 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 tipster suggested that what he saw uh around was not that version of it but uh was was instead a you still had the the physical buttons and the screen augmented the buttons in in some way so that i'm hoping that is correct and that i wouldn't mind if apple does this right I think it's it's going to be fine. I really hope they don't get rid of the entire F and key row itself because I really want those keys to be there,
2: but I don't really care how they're labeled. I've got an idea. You could sell an external keyboard like this and call it the Apple Extended Keyboard, and then finally <laughs> Apple would sell a keyboard that is not a tiny little piece of crap with no inverted T arrow keys on it. Oh, <laughs> uh, don't even get me started.
1: Don't even get me started. You are wrong, sir. Some chat room credit. Uh, Windows Sideshow
2: was what the great name that's fantastic name, like the the external <laughs> like uh, the support for weird uh, secondary displays on laptops uh, and nathan a in the chat room pointed out that uh what i was trying to think of was a os 10 lion uh came out with retina support 10.7.5 because basically the the fully retina supporting uh, os 10.8 wasn't out yet yeah and the old the app store came to 10.6. 6 10 10 6. 8 yeah i think yeah anyway so that's that's the F and key row i think we have that well covered unless you guys have other other comments on that um i i think the the idea of having a big like you know the the that our tip says they're not doing but just having a big flat screen like you, there's, there's the obvious reasons that's bad and you are, went over them like did you you know you feel for your keys you want to feel where the edges are it's a pain in the butt if it's just one big flat screen but i have to think and we've, we've joked about this so many times and talking about the macbook keyboard and everything like well why even have keys at all if there's going to be so little travel and part of the whole big sales pitch of the original iphone presentation was like oh look at all these phones they have all these buttons on them but you kind of have to pick the buttons when you make the phone and then you can't change them after the fact well what if we made the whole screen of the phone the whole surface of the phone a screen then you don't have to worry about what the buttons are because it's all software we can change them all the time and everybody said yeah all software but then how the hell can you feel the keys when you're trying to type on the thing because it's just a big flat screen uh we worked that out as a society we now know how to type (laughs) on a on flat screen phones it's a little bit different because the focal distance between looking at the keyboard and looking at the screen is a little bit better on a phone than it is on a, a laptop combination. Like you're kind of looking in the same place at the same distance as opposed to, you know, looking at the keyboard. Obviously touch typists are going to say, oh, I don't like this. I can, I'm can. i a touch typist. I don't have to look at the keyboard. I wonder what percentage of the world population looks at the keyboard when they type, not on a phone, on, on like a, on a regular like laptop or desktop keyboard maybe it's pretty high maybe it's not i don't know but you still have the same focal distance question anyway i there was the final thing that i can't remember the source of this maybe one of you will was it was it on i somebody did a survey of how fast can you touch type on a on an ipad keyboard like on a totally glass keyboard by age and they, they split it up by age and the old people of course were horrendously bad at touch typing on it and the younger you got the bigger the bars get up to the point where people were typing faster on the the uh iPad keyboard, then I can touch on a real, type on a real keyboard. I'm a terrible typist, so that's not a big judge. But they were into like, you know, over sixty words a minute. This was Cortex, by the way. Oh, was it Cortex? Yep. Yeah. Anyway, um it makes me wonder about the future. Like that. For now, we're all glad if they do the separate buttons with the little LED things in them because it looks cool. We can feel the button edges, and I know I don't look at the keyboard when I hit the escape key and many other things. Like I'm not really a touch typist. I don't type the right way, but in practice, I can program without looking at the keyboard. Even though my fingers are doing completely the incorrect thing down there, um, but we're going to get old and retire and die, uh, and eventually, I don't think it's too unrealistic to imagine that it's possible—not guaranteed, but possible—that future, future, future Apple laptops could uh, a either a not exist or b uh, just have an entirely you know have an entire screen for the keyboard area because it would be thinner and it would be infinitely reconfigurable. And people do get used to them, and people can actually get fast with them, and it makes me uh, wonder about the future. Yeah, I
0: mean, like, I think my ideal setup here, because I do recognize, like, the, the advantages of having, like, dynamic soft keys where you know maybe some of them the system defines as always having pretty much the same functions things like you know volume controls um and then some of them you know are application defined and applications can say all right well when you have like photoshop or logic or whatever active then you can map these buttons to these commands and actually show them on there and that that makes it easier to learn the keyboard shortcuts and more these functions become more accessible and everything. So like
2: there you is can also do the fuzzy targets too, just like the a phone keyboard does. That was another big selling point of the phone keyboard. It's like, oh, we know that the most likely in the English language the next letter is has a much higher percentage chance to be, you know, an R than an X. So even though you're a little bit off of the the, the key that you were trying to hit, will you know, like the, the sort of fuzzy matching for where your fingers tap and you may think oh i don't need that when the keys are full size but maybe you do maybe it would help like there are things you can do with a completely software controlled completely flat glass keyboard that you can't do with a physical one well uh, right it might be good
0: but i like to me i i think that the 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 happy medium here would be that you still have the physical buttons there uh that you know like because i mean if you're doing the entire keyboard not just the F and row if you're doing the entire keyboard I think your argument makes more sense. Even though I think I would hate that, but you would ha- it would be so much more powerful cuz you could do things like well the entire left half of this is going to be a jog wheel instead of keys, you know like you could do dynamic stuff. Yeah.
2: No, that that's what I'm saying. The, the, this, the entire thing would be just it would just be like be, you know, just like typing on an iPad. It's just one big flat right. piece of glass for the whole thing, not a bunch of individual keys like because it it almost feels like a weird in-between state to have like the Optimus keyboard where it's like we want the keys to be infinitely reconfigurable, but they all have to always be the same size and position. Right. But I think in the context of a Mac and, you know, especially like
0: a Mac laptop where whatever keyboard they, they ship in a Mac laptop, you're stuck with. Like, you know, I mean, you could put other keyboards like on desks when you go park it on a desk. But like when you are out in the world or when you're using your laptop like on the couch or by itself with no additional hardware on a desk, like whatever keyboard that that has in it, you don't have a choice so I think in in the current context of like how people use Macs and pcs like I think it's important to have a physical keyboard and and I think you know, looking at things like the Macbook One, where you know Apple goes to incredible lengths to make a really crappy physical keyboard, but it's still better than typing on glass i I think Apple probably agrees I think that's the sign Apple agrees um that you know in the Mac landscape, you need physical keys. so if you're gonna have physical keys and you want this this key strip to be dynamic it makes sense to also keep those as physical keys because the way people are going to be using that keyboard is still going to be based on feel for the most part and you're not really going to gain much you know if if you only have a thin strip on top of the keyboard to customize in software you're not really going to gain much by, by having that be a flat touch surface that you wouldn't also have by having them be physical keys. And you, and you also won't, there will be no cost to it then to the user. Like there will be no downside if there's still physical keys and you're just changing the labels on them. You know that then, then there's no complaint. There's no downside except cost and complexity, but you know, it seems like Apple's okay with that. Uh, I think that sounds fine. I think that that would be that would be my happy medium. Is sure if you're going to do this at all, make it like the Optimus keyboard. Put screen, put some kind of screens on each key, or put a big screen below all the keys and make them clear or something. I don't know, but
2: that's <laughs> it'll, yeah, it'll be a screen on each key. Um, but like I, for the big flat glass thing, you could also get rid of the trackpad at that point too. Like it, it is another, it's a simplification that may prove irresistible eventually. Uh, if if the customer base eventually gets to the point where they feel like we can sell this product in. Not too many people will complain, except for the really old people. Yeah. I just want an extended keyboard. Is that too much to ask? Is that just not a thing anymore that Apple doesn't really... thats like they want their keyboards to be super small because they're all used on submarines or whatever. I don't know. I don't know what the use case is for constantly making the keyboard not just thinner. Fine. Whatever. I don't really care that much about that. But narrower. Like, am I am I using it in coach class on United? I don't, I don't know what... Why does it have to be so... I've got this big desk here. Like, like take off the numeric keypad. Fine. But give me an inverted T. I use... I use those keys when I type and program.
0: Also, a, a quick comment on the thinness of keyboards here, just for a second. Articles are saying that this new MacBook Pro has a, a thinner keyboard that is like the MacBook One keyboard. This would normally freak me out, except the tipster has said many times in the chat that yes, it is that general type of keyboard, however, it is much closer to the new standalone Magic keyboard than the MacBook One's Total Crap keyboard. I've tried the Magic Keyboard in the store. I know, Casey, you love yours,
1: right? I cannot say enough good things about it. With the exception, I I agree, I would prefer the inverted T, but I've learned to move on from it. Page Um, up,
2: page down, home and end. Don't you miss those guys? And being in a normal place where you can find them really easily?
1: No, Nope. Really honestly don't. What year is this? Seriously.
2: You don't use page up and page down? No. I even have
0: them on my keyboard. I never use them. You swipe on your silly little mice? When I used Windows, I used home and end all the time, but now I use command left, command right, and that's, you know.
2: Right. No, home and end doing what they're supposed to do, not what they do on Windows. We're on Windows. <laughs> <laughs> Go to the beginning of the line. That's not home. What world is that home? Home is the top, end is the bottom.
1: That's command up and command down. Easy peasy. Uh, so the point is so, yeah, I love the Magic Keyboard. It is my favorite keyboard that I've ever used, and I have tried just about any of the popular keyboards or close variants thereof and i grew up on the ibm what was it the ibm m or something like that the the ridiculous
2: buckling springs you love them
1: yeah and so i i mean i'm not a keyboard snob and i don't really typically care for really loud clicky keyboards however i love the magic keyboard more than anything and the only flaw i see in it is i do agree with you that i wish it had the inverted t so i love this thing
0: yeah i'm totally with you on that but overall like the magic keyboard i think is fine like i i have no problem with that so if the tipster is right that the new macbook pro keyboard is much closer to that than to the macbook 1 keyboard that's fine however i would just generally like to say like i, I there were a few people on twitter who were kind of saying worrying things to me earlier about how think keyboards are, just keep getting thinner um it, it is great to have laptops that are thin and light but in general what matters more is the light not the thin and keyboards weigh almost nothing, no matter how thick they are. Like, the keyboard component of a laptop is mostly empty space. And the key travel is all empty space, of course, because the keys have to move
2: up and down. All matter is mostly empty space. But, Thanks, Sean. <laughs> <And> <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I'm so happy you you added that. <laughs> I, just, I was on the kick of like trying to <laughs> to stop email from people <laughs> you have to Thanks. have the the new the new level of well actually well actually all matters mostly empty <laughs> anyway go on okay <laughs> how am i supposed to continue anyway <laughs> all right so anyway
0: so yeah keyboards are extremely lightweight if you're talking about making laptops thinner and lighter again lighter matters more than thinner and if it gets to the point where you start sacrificing the usability of the keyboard, if, if you have to ship a crappy keyboard in order to make the laptop uh, you know, appealing visually to make it thinner from the side, which is an angle which nobody ever looks at it, I think that's a bad choice. I, I think Apple went too far with that.
2: But It's also harder to pick up, by the way. As they get thinner, it gets harder to eventually. It's like, I I know they cup the edges and they make it, but like at a certain point, if you keep getting thinner and thinner, you don't have enough edge left to even cup. And if like you put it down, it's like trying to pick a coin off a very smooth table. It's hard to do.
0: Yeah. It also makes it harder to open the lid. But anyway, and that's weight too. Anyway, so like my point is, I think if you are optimizing a laptop for thinness, I think you're optimizing it for the wrong thing. You should let thinness follow from battery removals, which will result in more efficient CPUs, more efficient components, things like that, and things like getting rid of the optical drive and you know making other components thinner. But I don't think you should ever be at a point where you are making the keyboard hard to use or less ergonomically friendly or otherwise horrible for the sake of shaving like another millimeter off the case thickness. Because if the laptop is still very light and is just like a millimeter thicker to accommodate better key switches That's fine. Like, that's an acceptable trade-off for a laptop because you want laptops to be light, but you don't need them to be paper-thin. And if you just... Like, we're not talking about a big difference here. We're not talking about, like, going back to the old PowerBook G4 thickness to have a decent keyboard. You don't need that. You can look... Today, you can look at the MacBook Air, and you can look at the uh, MacBook Pro today, and, you know, presumably what it's about to be in a few months. You can make a great laptop with a great keyboard that's very very thin but i think the macbook 1 took it too far and and it sounds like with with the, these new macbook pros if all the rumors are right if tipster's right i think we'll be okay again i think we will have reachieved a good balance here so i'm looking forward to seeing how that turns out i hope apple does it right and in general like i have i've been you know very critical to macbook 1 even though people love it that's fine if you can if you love it good for you i'm happy for you um, in general i expect the new MacBook Pro to be awesome, both 13 and 15, based on both what we've heard, what's been reported, and just based on, you know, Apple, the things that really matter, things like the iPhone, Apple is really, they have a fantastic track record. You know, Apple has never made a bad iPhone. And similarly, I don't think Apple has ever made a bad MacBook Pro. There there have been a few that have been slightly imperfect, but for the most part, the MacBook Pro, they just nail it. It, it. it has such a good history, such a good track record, and they it ha, it has to because the MacBook Pro is like the workhorse of like the entire industry. Like pretty much every like web developer, most you know almost every Apple developer, tons of people inside Apple, tons of journalists, tons of people, tons of students. Like the MacBook Pro is such the workhorse of so many people. They can't screw like they like like legally like they can they just can't screw it up like and they know that Apple I think would not take lightly major changes to the MacBook Pro and their track record on it is so good that I am confident that this is going to be awesome um, and so I you know even though I'm skeptical of many of the things that Apple does these days uh, I I definitely give them the benefit of the doubt that whatever we hear about this new MacBook Pro that might sound a little bit weird. It's probably going to be awesome.
1: Yeah, I agree. I'm really looking forward to this. Um, to me, I feel like I would just be thrilled if the next MacBook Pro had a keyboard as close to the magic keyboard as possible and also an SD card slot that didn't trip my damn SD card read switch
2: SD card slot. No, no, you get USB three ports, uh, USB C uh, type C connectors, and that's all. And you'll like it, mister.
1: Probably right. And I was being silly about the SD card thing, but anyway, um, I think an improved keyboard would be great. And I don't think the current keyboards are bad. I just freaking love the uh, magic keyboard, but I agree with you, Marco. I think that, that they, they have a great track record and, i i can't see them releasing a dud and even though some of these rumors are making me scratch my head a little bit i'm really really amped to see these and also miserable because i'm I'm not getting a new mac from from work for another two years i think and and i'm certainly not buying one for home so i'll be sad
2: i'm still uh Looking for a Retina Air. I know the 13 will be so thin that it'll almost be Air-like, but now that the Air has been freed up, from, you know, now that we have the 5K iMac. Uh, we used to have the Air connected to a Thunderbolt display. Now just the Air is, like, rattling around the house, and my daughter is smearing her yogurt-covered fingers on it, and I'm routinely cleaning it. Anyway, 13-inch Air is such a great form factor for a laptop. It's such a good machine. The screen is crap. <laughs> but everything else about it uh this is like a 2011 model right that screen is not good but everything else about it is just so nice and, and because it's a 2011 model it's like a five-year-old computer it looks great uh it, and so now hopefully maybe these 13s will get down to the point where it's getting close to that because the airs haven't been updated and you said that the pros the workhorse it's the workhorse of like you know professional people or people who need some sort of computing power to do their job but uh the airs were the sort of uh computing for the 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 the, the lap the apple laptop for the rest of us where you're not going to be compiling stuff you just want to like browse the web and write papers for school or whatever it's it was such a great student computer was such a great computer for people who don't have particularly demanding needs it's a real a real high point i think when we look back on the the great max the uh, the 13 inch air that that design that if if not the particular innards but like when they redesigned the case and everything yeah that was a great computer Absolutely. Um, so and so like the the pros uh the first retina ones were pretty impressive and now they're going to go super thin and just have the USB C ports on the side and just shave off all those things these have the potential to be really great uh long lasting computers to remember The, the the touch id and the uh the weird you know screen keys and stuff also has the potential to have them go wrong until they sort that out uh but like you said like they're surely they've had enough time to work out these kinks and this is the type of thing they could have been working on for a long time so uh i i have some confidence that's, that they're going to be good as well um although i have to admit when i saw you marco tweeting about the the thin keyboard thing i thought you were talking about their external desktop keyboards that also keep getting thinner for even as i said even more mysterious reasons not just like you know i talked about the width before with the united airlines but they're also getting like thinner as in lower to the desk they're just they're just wasting away soon they're just going to give you a bunch of keycaps and you'll throw them on your desk <laughs> No, I mean, like in <laughs> Apple's defense,
0: uh, I mean, one of the reasons I don't use their desktop keyboards is that the ergonomics are horrible on them, and, and I, I need something with better ergonomics to, to prevent RSI problems. In their defense, though, The worst thing about ergonomics of most desktop keyboards is when the back is higher than the front, you know, the the forward tilt. Um, That's terrible for ergonomics. And by the way, anybody listening, if you you have the feet flipped up on the back so that your keyboard is tilted even more, for God's sake, flip those feet down. Put something under the front to make it level. Yeah, there's a reason why if you look at natural keyboards now, like the Microsoft Sculpt and and everything, uh, there's a reason why they come with this big riser on the front that lifts the front up so it's actually tilting away from you. Uh, And everyone thinks it looks weird, and it does the first time you see it, but it's way better for ergonomics. There's a reason for that. Uh, Anyway, you know, if if Apple makes their keyboards thinner, it actually reduces the tilt inherently. (laughs) And so it it
2: slightly improves the ergonomics. (laughs) they they can still be totally level like i have a really old like translucent plastic apple usb keyboard i saw in the attic when i was cleaning stuff up those were pretty much perfectly flat as well although they did have stupid feet in the back but anyway you can make a keyboard that is level it just doesn't have to be level and also the thickness of three credit cards because again <laughs> i i fear that they're going to get to the point where they're starting to sacrifice travel on the desktop model so it's like what you, what space are you saving the airspace above my desk you want to save two millimeters of airspace please width wise and height wise Don't go nuts with the thing, and I I understand the part sharing with the laptops. Like that's why I think it will. It could. It could literally be the same exact part. I haven't seen the Magic Keyboard. I can't tell if it's actually a laptop worthy part. But anyway, I I understand the the economies of scale going on here. I just think that the desktop keyboards and also the little edges around it. People like sometimes it's hard to pick up my keyboard if I want to move it because how the hell do you pick it up? Because the keycaps go right to the edge. It's a, it's a little bit extreme. It's a little bit. We're getting into the realm of. uh, form over function where like what do i have to do with the keyboard i want to type on it sometimes you have to move it around uh i don't really care if it it looks like uh i mean i do care if it looks like a beautiful piece of art but when that that look starts to compromise the basic things i do with my keyboard including occasionally picking them up or moving them around it's it's silly well but but that is today's apple like the the desktop
0: keyboards i mean if there's ever a thing that they make that 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 form over function wins. It's, it's the, uh, it's like the desktop input peripherals because the, the the function part doesn't really matter. Anybody who cares about the ergonomics or the size or the layout or the key switches or the thickness of their desktop keyboard, they're just going to use a different keyboard. And this is like exactly the kind of area where Johnny Ives is going to come in and be like, alright, well, this needs to look even thinner and even sleeker so that it looks great in all of our press shots. And so the iMac looks great and, and they look great in the stores and the boxes can be smaller and all this stuff. like that." This is exactly the, the kind of area where Apple would absolutely go nuts and and sacrifice uh functionality for form and the 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 cost of that isn't so big um it's way worse than the laptops where as i said like you you're kind of stuck with the keyboard that's in a laptop Uh, so that that i think is is the bigger area we have to watch out for and and i do feel like even though i just got done praising apple for how awesome they're probably going to be with this i do feel like that that i'm kind of always on edge trying to like defend and hold on to things on, on apple products that that work well or are ergonomically friendly because i feel like i'm always battling johnny ive on like no you please stop making things worse or harder to use or more slippery or you know with <laughs> the apple tv remote where you can't even tell which way is up and you're pressing things wrong like please like please johnny stop stay away from my things you're, you're standing off all the things that make them usable like and i i am a little bit worried about that that angle of apple kind of taking over more than it should and and that i think long term both present and into the near future i think that is a major concern that many of us should have about apple that real world usability and ergonomics seem to be a very low priority and an, an ever shrinking one that they're happy to borrow from to make gains in thinness and appearance
2: or they just forgotten how to do it but like the 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 keyboard i have the apple extended aluminum keyboard i've bought many of these i've I've gone through uh, a couple of them actually breaking the keys which maybe doesn't speak to the reliability of the keyboard considering i use the apple extended two for years and the only way i broke it is because i dropped my pocket knife off of a shelf uh, onto it and snapped off one of the function keys but uh i like the apple extended aluminum keyboard in every aspect except for the fact that the stupid top row of function keys is too close to the number keys and is not full size but every other aspect of it, I like. I like that it's thin and small and doesn't have any excess room. It doesn't have any excess sort of trimming and stuff around it. It could be a little bit flatter because it does tilt up a little bit. But it is, I think, the a reasonable interpretation of the minimalist flat thing. I like the fact that the keys have low effort because that helps my RSI, um, and I can't type on a, on, a, on a keyboard. So like, if if you if given the choice, if you can have any keyboard in the world with your new Mac, this is still the one that I would pick because it's still basically my favorite keyboard out of all the ones that i've tried uh you know and i can't use my apple extended two anymore um but they went a little bit farther like the next keyboard was like well the other one had a little bit of a rim around the edge so you could pick it up can we shave that off and the answer is yes we can and can we put it directly down to the ground instead of having a lip where you can get your fingers underneath it Well, we can do that too and can you take off all those useful keys that people use sometimes yep they can do that too and now i'm sad but you can still buy this one by the way like you can still buy the extended keyboard with your new computer it's just it's like you feel like you're getting the last generation thing you can buy this shiny new keyboard that casey has and he loves so much with these cool key switches that i i like too i tried them in the apple store i think they're great too um or you can get this old keyboard that silly people use with the extra keys on them
1: yeah i one of the things i love about this keyboard is that it is so darn flat now I wouldn't say I'm, I, I ever s- was seeking out a keyboard that's flat, but now that it's in front of me, I, I like that it's so flat because I feel like it, it works better for me ergonomically. Now, maybe that's wrong, maybe I, maybe I am crazy, but it feels good to me, and and I like that if I decide to take my iPad on a trip, for example, and I don't want to take my full on fifteen inch work computer, I can just throw this keyboard in my bag, and it's like it's not even there. It's thin, it's light and it's my favorite keyboard i have ever used so i i I know i talk about it constantly but i cannot say enough good things about this keyboard
2: it's a great portable keyboard but you know Mm -hmm. i'm not buying it for portable i'm buying it it's like this is the one that's going to be attached to and by the way i like when they're attached with the wire because again i have a place for the wire to go and i don't need to deal with bluetooth and i don't need to deal with batteries because it's never going to go anywhere it's always going to be plugged into my computer it'll be fine um so yeah like i i and the flatness, again, is not an innovation of this particular keyboard because, they, like I said, there's been flat keyboards from Apple and others forever and ever and ever without any feet, without anything that are just nice and level. It's the tucking in of the edges and the bringing of the edges straight down to the table and the, and the, the trimming off of the keys and the not having a space between the numbers and the function keys because that would make the keyboard ever so slightly bigger it's like yeah all right if you're making a portable keyboard i see that trade-off you want it to fit in your backpack every every millimeter counts If it's going to be on my desk every millimeter does not count in the same way and it just strikes me as a bad trade-off We
0: are also sponsored tonight by FreshBooks. FreshBooks has created cloud accounting software so ridiculously simple to use that over 5 million small business owners are now officially feeling the FreshBooks effect. There's a lot more smiling and way less stressing when it comes to dealing with administration, paperwork, invoicing, and getting paid. Now, invoicing is what made FreshBooks so big, and they still do it the best. Using FreshBooks to create and send an invoice literally takes a grand total of about 30 seconds. No formulas, no formatting, perfectly crafted invoices every time. And you can let people pay you online, right through FreshBooks, through payment gateways, through various options that you can you can enable. And you can, if you, when your clients can pay you right online, you get paid faster. They actually have data to support this. When it's easier to pay you, you get paid faster. You, they also offer a mobile card reader. So if you do work in person, you can actually have through all through FreshBooks, all through their invoicing system, they have this mobile card reader, and you can actually accept credit cards to get paid in person. Get paid even faster. If people are slow to pay your invoices, they have overdue payment reminders. So you don't have to have that awkward conversation. You can have FreshBooks have it for you. These are all configurable, of course. You can configure the message. You can configure when it's sent, who it's sent to. And going beyond beyond the invoicing that they started with, they also have expense tracking. So you can track receipts, you can have it import transactions from your bank automatically that are you know whether it's a receipt or not, you can have it import all transactions. It can generate expense reports for you. You can integrate that whole thing into the invoicing system. It is so advanced. Just and you can use the Freshbooks app to take pictures of receipts that you get in real life on your mobile device, and you can let FreshBooks pretty much handle the rest. This is such an advanced platform. This is only a very limited part of what it can do because all of its features do not fit in a two-minute ad read. So check it out today yourself. To feel the full force of the FreshBooks effect, totally free for 30 days, just go to freshbooks.com slash ATP. And please enter ATP in the How Did You Hear About Us section so they know for sure that you came from here. Once again, free trial, 30 days. Go to freshbooks.com slash ATP. Thanks
1: a lot. So you had written a post, Marco, about whether or not Apple's kind of allowing themselves to get left behind on this whole intelligent assistant thing.
0: Uh, Can't we just talk about the MacBook Pro some more
1: instead? No, I think we've beaten that to death at this Uh, point. Um, So I I don't necessarily need to get into the article too much, but I thought it was reasonable. Um, And then, curiously, a day or two later, there's a article on the information about Apple's opening up Siri and it's developing an echo rival interesting
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean this this could be a coincidence it could be a controlled leaking response I have no idea it's probably a coincidence if I you know it, it being realistic here uh, but yeah I mean so I, I mean I don't want to go too far into it the gist of my article was this was another one of the, one of these situations where like I write something critical critical about Apple on my blog and it just goes everywhere. Uh, this time, I don't feel bad about it. Uh, this time like, with, with the whole functional high ground thing, I mainly felt bad about it because you know a, I, I did not expect that at all. I had never seen that, that kind of response before, so it was more it was more of a shock. B, the, the bigger reason is that I just didn't write it very well. I didn't do a very good job of writing it. and so I was kind of embarrassed that a lot of people, including like people at Apple, saw this and it wasn't very good work. So that's why I I, I kind of had a hard time back then with the with the high ground thing, but this time I I wrote this piece knowing that there was a chance that it might spread, although I didn't expect the spread of God at all. Um, but knowing there was a chance it might spread, and I wrote it very carefully, much more carefully than the high ground thing, and I think what came out I I, I stand by it. The only thing that I that I regretted was the I had originally uh, titled it. Uh, avoiding BlackBerry's fate that kind of implied that if Apple doesn't make this big shift, they will definitely fail the way BlackBerry did exactly. And that was not my point that I was trying to make, so so I retitled it about a day in um, to something more more closer to what I actually meant. The rest of it I, I totally stand by, and I don't regret it at all, and so I feel pretty good about it. And it did spread way further than I thought, and many of the of the crappy rewrites of it have have been crappy uh business insider did what they always do and that's fine i sent their visitors to to the fish meat stick video and uh and you know all the sensational news sites and all the the crappy tv people and all the other crappy sites they're they're gonna do what they what they're gonna do and all i all i need is to be comfortable myself in standing by what i wrote in knowing myself that that I did good work, that I, that I wrote it, I, that I expressed myself properly in the way I wanted to explain myself, you will not get that reference at all. Hi. And I'm happy with what I wrote. And so what I wrote basically, which I realized now I forgot to say at the beginning of this giant rant. <laughs> sorry. See, I don't stand by this giant rant now. So <laughs> but so what, it, wow. you know, what I wrote was basically... I think, you know, Google and and Amazon and Facebook and, as many people pointed out, which I didn't, Microsoft, they're all making these huge developments in AI-like big data services. So, things like, you know, obviously, in the old days, things like search and maps and directory stuff. And then now, in in recent times, these, like kind of like assistant these virtual assistants, chatbots, things like Siri and Cortana and Google Now and stuff like that, um, and now the Amazon Echo and the Google Home Weeble thing and whatever, you know, whatever Amazon and Apple and Facebook and everybody else are gonna come up with next. If the industry shifts to prioritize the functionality of these virtual assistants, uh, of, of this kind of big data AI problem as like the primary thing people care about or the primary functionality people want. Apple is not in a good place for that. You know, right? Like, in, in, and the, I made the BlackBerry analogy. Because I was like, you know, when when the iPhone came out, BlackBerry was like on top of the world and they were doing really well. The reason BlackBerry was so screwed is because when Apple came out, they changed the game completely to to raise everyone's expectations of what phones could and should do in areas that RIM... You know they didn't. They could not catch up at that point if they wanted to, because like Apple had moved the goalposts into this area where okay, now to be competitive, you need to have a desktop class operating system, this this incredibly complex manufacturing pipeline to make these incredibly precise, high quality devices, this massive store ecosystem with all these credit cards on file and all these developer tools and the ecosystem of computers surrounding them, and and like all this crazy stuff that like. You know, that, that the that the iPhone was, all the stuff that enabled the iPhone with assets that Apple had been building up for like a decade before that, no matter what BlackBerry did at that point, because they weren't building that kind of assets for a decade, they were not going to catch up. Uh, you know, the, the writing was in the wall as soon as the iPhone, as soon as Steve showed the iPhone in, in, early, in early 07, uh, before it even blew up with the App Store a year later. Uh, the writing was on the wall for BlackBerry because they it like the gap was too wide; they would not be able to catch up to what the iPhone had now redefined smartphones to be. You look now, and and you see these services thing. You know, like Apple started out this whole thing with Siri. Um, and yes, I know Google was doing voice stuff before that. Yes, thank you. Uh, but you know, Apple kind of started like the the virtual assistant revolution with Siri in twenty eleven. Yeah, twenty eleven. It has, it has progressed. It has gotten better. It has gotten more advanced. It has added more languages around the world, which is not an easy thing to do. Uh, but ultimately, I, Siri still feels like a first-generation version of this product, while the competitors are all moving past that in in certain attributes. So you look at like the Amazon Echo, and the Echo only supports basically U.S. English and only is useful to people in the U.S. for most of its functionality. Uh, but the functionality it does for those. US English speakers, it does that stuff better and more reliably and faster than Siri does most of the time. And you look at you know Google is going to be way better at international support, way better at different languages. and Google's also doing a lot of this stuff better, faster, uh, more reliably now with, with, their, with their Google Now stuff and, and all the other Android things that I don't understand. You know, it's it's hard to look at this and to see yeah, if 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 we all start using these virtual assistants as our primary interfaces like in 2 years or whatever like is Apple really going to catch up to what Google is doing and what they will have in 2 years? I don't think so. Because Apple Apple is not good at big data problems. You know, number one example of this is the App Store search you could argue okay well maybe that's like one department that has these technical burdens or whatever else fine maybe that's true okay what about siri where it really matters a lot um siri again it's it's kind of a gen one product in in a gen two world now uh and so it is possible we've we've heard lots of rumblings that apple will that apple has made some some key acquisitions and investments over the last year or two and that you know this WWDC they're going to come out with something major and it's going to be amazing and that might be true but just as i said earlier that apple has an amazing track record of macbook pro updates apple has a really terrible track record of big data ai problem updates you you, you hear oh we've improved Siri we ordered we've now added these capabilities or now it's better or now you can do this and and yet somehow it's still unreliable and inconsistent and sometimes not that smart apple has the opposite problem here of any hype that's about like what Apple might do at WBDC to 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 all of a sudden show us that they're like an amazing AI and big data company, I don't believe that for a second. I, I, I would love to be proven wrong. I really hope I'm proven wrong because I would so much rather have Apple do well at this stuff than have to switch all my garbage to Android. But I, I don't have a lot of confidence in Apple doing this stuff because their track record just is not very strong.
1: So there was an interesting article that I saw today, and I'm assuming it was posted today, uh, no, it was yesterday, on Pixel Envy, and it was titled Meet Vocal IQ. Vocal IQ is a small Cambridge-based startup launched in 2011 that specialized in natural speak recognition and conversational interactions. Um, from a Times article, uh, this is Times UK, pu- published in June, um, blah, 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 blah. This is a quote from one of their uh, one of their employees. One of our key projects is to develop a car that can talk to you like in Knight Rider. Awesome. So uh, these people got acquired by Apple in October. And so um, there, there was a quote by someone who's been following this. If Apple utilizes just a small subset of the technology developed by VocalIQ, we will see a far more advanced Siri. However, I'm quite certain that the amazing work of Tom Gruber will also be utilized. Additionally, the amazing technology from Emollient, Perception, and a number of other unannounced and future Apple acquisitions will also become a a big part of Apple's AI future. So um, Perception apparently was actually uh, Perceptio, which was a photo classification startup um which reminds me a lot of Google Photos which I've also been talking about constantly lately because it is amazing. So you put all this together in this this article which is very short ends with so who's excited for WWDC. And I just think it's interesting, you know, they've been making a lot of acquisitions that are right in the right in this wheelhouse and we don't know what they've been up to but hopefully there's something there.
0: I hope that's right. I mean again like
1: I really hope I'm wrong
0: on this. I really hope Apple just suddenly comes out and is really good at this stuff. Unfortunately, I don't think it works that way. I don't think this is the kind of thing you can do quickly. Um, one thing that's worth investigating is, yeah, they've made acquisitions like this and like the Siri people. Uh, why, do, why do these people not stick around? You know, like, is there something about Apple's culture that, uh, or, their, or their organizational structure or the departments that these people are, are hired to work in? why like why don't they stick around why why does apple need to go buying people in order to get this kind of talent in the company like is this a problem and are there other ways to fix this are there other problems that need to be solved first i don't know i don't know enough about how they work internally to really uh to have good insight into this but what i can see is from the outside and again like I mean, every time anybody criticizes any or or has some kind of fear about Apple or or tries to you know or is, is pessimistic about Apple in the springtime, everyone always says, "Oh, just wait! Oh, just wait! You're going to see. This is a, This is so stupid for you to be thinking about this now because just wait till WWDC. Well, you know what? WWDC is not like Santa Claus. Like it doesn't. It's not magic. They're not going to solve every problem that everybody wants them to solve in one keynote. And that's not realistic. And that, you know, if, you know, people say that I like, I am naive for thinking Apple's not working on this stuff. I think thinking Apple's going to magically solve everything in two weeks is naive. Uh, I think we can look at what Apple services are today and what they have been. These kind of, you know, things like Siri, things like search and relevancy and predictive uh, inputs for things, you know, things like uh, proactive on the phones and everything. We see what, and Apple News, like, Apple Music even, like the recommendations, stuff like we see Apple's current capabilities and we know their past capabilities in big data AI based web services. And we see that they're you know, they they can do it, they can manage to to have a service out there and it can work most of the time and be up most of the time and be fast most of the time. But that's that's like what was good enough five years ago 10 years ago and now the the companies who were really good at this stuff like google they have moved to a different level of of sophistication and performance and consistency and we haven't seen apple match that level and it took them a pretty long time to get to the last level so again look at their track record and i don't think it's unreasonable
1: to be concerned about this David Shab made a good uh point in the chat. You know, startup people like the you know from all these acquisitions, often aren't compatible with big companies, or perhaps moving to the Cupertino area. So you know maybe you're happy in Boston like this Vocal IQ company was. You get swooped, uh, bought up by Apple. You're expected to move, and sometimes people just like the chase of a startup. Sometimes they just don't like being always on vacation in California, and it could be that it has nothing to do with Apple at all, and it's just. The, the kind of mindset or 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 geographical situation from the from these companies that are being bought or it could be that there's their new corporate overlords are killing them and they just can't handle it anymore i don't know what do you think john
2: on an upcoming episode of a, another podcast on another network i had a long discussion about uh apple not talking about you know agents or services or things like the uh the google home thing or the uh, amazon echo or siri or Cortana, or any of that stuff but about the more mundane aspects of cloud computing that it seems that apple still has yet to master and in particular the simple idea of that you have an apple id that you were signed into the Apple ID in various applications on your phone and that it lets you do things like see your past purchases, make new purchases, uh, download your music for, you know, uh, Apple Music or iTunes Match, see your photos, all those things. And the utter mess the that the whole identity and login system is both on the web, on your Mac, but especially on your phone with the series of dialogues popping up and you entering your password and having no idea why you're being prompted and why you're being prompted again. That is not just like level one or 1.0 or whatever. That's like level zero many, many years ago that Apple still hasn't gotten right so i i continue to think i've you know i've been beating this drum for, for ages about apple and services that just sort of having something that looks on the outside just like everyone else's service like yay we've done it we have a service we're a services company you have to keep evolving the basic parts of your system uh sort of in the same way that uh you know in, in the beginning google was a search box that you type terms into eventually there was something to sign into I forget what the first Google thing to sign into was. Maybe it was Gmail, maybe it was something else. Eventually, there was the concept of a Google account that was unifying all the various Google things together. And the way Google authentication works and the way it's consistent, uh, referencing some uh, tweets that Craig Hockenberry had been doing recently about the whole, how many different ways can you log in with your Apple ID just on websites alone, and his speculation that each of those talks to a different back end and that they're all sort of diverse. And it's just it's just such a big mess compared to how Google's authentication and login system has evolved over the years to get sort of more sturdy, more centralized, more comforting, more reassuring, more reliable, more predictable, whereas Apple's has gone in the opposite direction. It started off as small and humble and has become fragmented, confusing, and broken a lot of the time and inexplicable. And like, we're just talking about logging in. We're not talking about understand my natural language query that i'm speaking into my phone which seems like it's a harder problem but if you neglect the fundamentals if you don't uh, but Margaret was talking about like the uh, why are these people not staying in the company is a topic that's come up on past shows as well like you know it could be they're just serial entrepreneurs and want to move on to other things but uh, apple as an organization has never seemed to value the type of infrastructure work that is necessary to be a world-class services organization that you, you can't have every project to do everything on its own. You have to sort of build up a common core infrastructure like it has, like, again, this is a repeat of shows from many years ago, but like, like it has on the OS side, they had a, a core OS, they developed it they use it as the underpinning for their new mac operating system it eventually ended up being the underpinning for their phone operating system also for their watch operating system also for their uh h264 hdmi adapter cable for the, you know whatever <laughs> does that one have iOS was it? i forget i think anyway, it does yeah the, like core technologies coco objective c their compiler infrastructure their their development tools like on on the client side in the non-service world they understand that it's stupid of every product to have its own little thing unify share where possible like it it just makes more sense and then and on the services side they haven't quite gotten that down to the most basic thing you could possibly do with a service which is like log in and have an application that knows that you're logged in that doesn't ask you to log in repeatedly for no reason it doesn't lose your login credentials doesn't get confused that you don't have bad weather iCloud days where things just don't seem to be working <laughs> like i don't know how many more people get sick of hearing it about this and me listing off all the technologies that google has had and developed over the years that are not for a specific project that are so that anybody at google can make a scalable, worldwide, reliable, redundant, performant network service on top of these things that they build. And this whole section of the company, Google, all they do is make that infrastructure better and better and revise and replace this one with a better version and that. And that and just, it. it's a rising tide that lifts all boats. And Apple is just like you're chucked out into sea with Life Preserver and sent to fend for yourself. Even the whole, the Siri people touting like they're moving to the a- Apache, was it Mesos or something or whatever. Like, I get the impression that that team is like, solving a problem for themselves like why is there not an apple wide solution to anybody who wants to write a service like this that is infrastructure for the whole company why is a product team doing it i don't know it's just it seems to me they just don't get it and that uh, to me explains partly why people who aren't serial entrepreneurs but just merely want to work in a company that values that type of work would definitely go to work for google or even amazon or facebook before they would go for apple because those companies are so much more focused on valuing those server side and operations and data center things. Whereas Apple's like, we kind of try to do it in-house and we kind of farm stuff out to Azure and Amazon, but we're not really good at that stuff. We mostly make cool devices. And that's, that's just not going to cut it long-term, regardless of whether AI is awesome or anything. I think it's not cutting it today. And it's just not going to cut it even for basic stuff like photos, which even if you set aside all the cool stuff that Casey loves about Google Photos, just the basics of doing photos right and having them in the cloud and everything took them so long to even get like sort of a passable level of of having things working and so many different tries and i guess you know cloud kit is a is an attempt to do that type of infrastructure but it's like they're just taking too long and they're moving too slowly and everyone else is too far ahead of them again repeats of stuff i said uh last week but uh it's it's on my mind a lot because i use a lot of apple products and every time i think about is that i'm starting to think about are there aspects of my life that i use apple with that I would be better off using someone else with, uh, down to things like Google Photos with uh, Casey talking about that. But, you know, all the way up to should I should I stop trying to use Siri and should I use Google now? Like, I'm not going to go out and get an Android phone at this point, but, I mean, I already used uh, Gmail for my mail. I would never use Apple's mail system for my mail for a variety of reasons. Um, yeah, Apple's, Apple's losing on a lot of these fronts.
1: Yeah, Google Photos, and I think I may have briefly mentioned this uh, last episode. It's really rocked my world in in, a, in an uncomfortable way because <laughs> it really makes me wonder: like, am I missing out on just giving Google everything about everything and having that kind of uh, intelligent assistant thing for for me? You know. It's, should I be looking at Android? You, you should know? use
2: the, the Gmail web. You should use the Gmail web interface because it knows when your flights are coming, and it puts a little thing there, and you can unsubscribe to lists from like little buttons on your like it's. It does smart things with your email and gives you little buttons without even having to go into them to to and it can put things on your calendar based on what's in there. And that may sound annoying and everything, but it's it's actually really convenient.
1: Yeah, Google Photos has shown me like if you're willing to give Google in this case all of your pictures. It's stunning how much intelligence they can provide you based on that. You know, if I want to search for um, a picture taken on a patio in 2012, I probably could search for that and and it would probably find it pretty quickly. It's unbelievable the things it can put together just from the metadata in my pictures. And so it's not hard to extrapolate. Well, if it's able to get all this from my pictures – What could it do with my email and maybe with searches and things? And so on the one side, every ounce of me is like, no, that's a terrible idea. You don't want Google looking at all those things. And then the opposite side of me thinks "It is pretty damn convenient. Is it really that big a deal? I mean, they already have my email. Why not take the rest? So it's it's very weird what what Google Photos has done because it's really made me start thinking about, is it worth trading some of that privacy and some of that data to get something that is actually useful out of it?
0: We are also sponsored this week by Hover. And Hover wants me to do this ad read in under a minute. So here we go. Go go to hover.com slash ATP. Use the promo code eatfresh at checkout to save 10% off your first purchase. When you have a great idea for your blog or store or app, you need to give it a great domain name finding the perfect domain is ridiculously easy with hover now hover has no upsells and free who is privacy now when all you want to do is buy a domain name or get an email address you shouldn't have to opt out of page after page of add-ons that you don't want or need they know what's needed they give it to you all included it's great so go to hover.com slash atp right now to find a great domain name for your idea use promo code this week eat fresh at checkout to save 10 percent off your first purchase thanks a lot to hover for sponsoring our show
2: And I was going to say uh, one other thing that came up last week. I, again, I, I feel like I mentioned this to Marco in Slack. I just feel that the crushing invisibility of podcasts because I feel like we had this discussion on last week's ADP and nobody knew or cared. Like it has to be written down somewhere that people can link to before anyone cares about it. Um, but anyway, something else that was discussed last week that I also saw written down in places uh, was I, remember I was reminiscing about the old days when Apple and Google were friends and when apple introduced the iphone it was like we made this amazing hardware and this amazing os on this device that's like nothing you've ever seen before and it's powered by these google services um and what a great partnership isn't that isn't that great we make the os and the hardware apple or google does the services and together you have the best of all possible worlds because we are the best at making hardware we are the best at making native client-side applications google is the best at maps they're the best at online services they're the best at search and you've and we're so integrated that we have you know our maps application is essentially Google's map application. Google provides the data, we wrote the application. It's a marriage made in heaven, and they got divorced, and we were all sad. Um, <laughs> and I don't know if that's what we're moving towards. If like if Apple can never figure this stuff out, and if Google continues to not be able to make the uh, the money and in inroads that it, it wants to from Android, and instead the, the the money from Android ends up going to other people, like could we end up years and years down the road where? They come back to the table and say, you know what? We should have never broken up. Uh, I've learned that it's really hard to make money selling hardware, especially when you give away the OS for kind of free. And in China, they make uh, Android phones without using any of the Google services. And we kind of let this whole thing get away from us. And Apple's like, we tried to make services, but it's really hard and we're not good at it. So why don't we just do what we're each good at? And together we can make a great phone platform where siri will be powered by google now and iMessage will be replaced with a decent service that doesn't send messages out of order and has actual new features in it but it'll be end-to-end encrypted and you know all like i i I want the point i want the best of both worlds and for a brief time it seemed like that's what we were going to get until uh both android and apple decided they were both going to do everything that the other person does only better and thus far uh they're Their strengths remain the same. Google is getting better at hardware. Apple's getting better at services. But if you were to lay them down again, you would say, who's the best at making hardware and operating systems and all that stuff? Still Apple. Who's the best at making services? Still Google. So I don't know what the long-term solution is. But as a customer and not someone who really cares about either one of those two companies ruling the entire world, it would be nice if we could turn back the clock on that relationship.
0: Well, the good thing is, like, I, I feel like, you know, if you look at the situation on the Mac, you know, ignoring iOS for a second. Look at the Mac. And on the Mac you have pretty much what you want. You have tons of people who use Macs running Mac OS 10 with all Apple stuff under it. Maybe even use iCloud for certain things, but who use Chrome as their browser, who use Gmail for their mail, maybe have Google Photos, whatever, uploader, however that works installed. You know, like the, on the Mac you have that you have that that world of choice where you can totally be bought into the Google ecosystem. And still be using a Mac with Mac OS as your computer and have all the Google stuff running there if you want it.
2: They had Siri to OS 10, though. We're not going to build your place with Google now. Like, that's a strategy tax type of thing where, like, if, oh, well, if you want a voice assistant that helps you on your Mac, you only get to choose the Apple one. The only re- It's almost like it's an accident of history. Well, that- that's not true, though, because on,
0: on the Mac, you, ha- you have, like, the system ability for, like, g- there's nothing stopping Google from running their own daemon in the background that's listening on the microphone for its own commands.
2: Like, it, on, on iOS, yeah. that is not possible, you know, in the software environment. There's going to be OS-level integration, though, that Siri is going to be favored with. And I guess you could say, like, yeah, on the Mac, all, all is fair if you get admin access and right. you could bypass the system integrity protection and hack the Finder and get your things into the Docker, or, like, whatever. Like, Apple uh, Apple always still has an advantage, even for things like Spotlight and stuff like that. Like, Google tried. To, didn't Google have, like, a Spotlight competitor that was trying to yeah. use the public oh, APIs yeah, to, yeah. to do stuff like that? It's really hard you know, and that's what I'm saying. Like, it's almost an accident of history that the web browsers can, because web browser is just a plain old application, and so there's no real barrier to entry there. Even you know, especially since Apple still has a way for you to pick what your default browser is on the Mac, unlike iOS. But as you get more and more integrated into sort of system components, it becomes harder for any third party, party no matter how good they are, to compete with the built in one. Not only because it's built in, but also because like there are deep hooks that. You can't get at, or you can only get at doing nasty hacks that you have to maintain. And so, in practice, it's really hard. No matter how bad Spotlight is, and no matter how good Google's thing could have been, it's been really hard to, for them to make a better Spotlight. And I imagine Siri will be similar. It will be harder for them to integrate their voice stuff. And then on iOS, forget it. Like you don't have a choice of so many things. You can't change the default to anything, um, and it's it's just frustrating. But well, but
0: so but I think like on the Mac, I, I think the 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 gap there between. What we have possible now, and the world you you imagine as like the ideal world here, that gap is pretty small i, I think we're pre- we're we almost there we 're pretty much there now where like if Google wants to make all their stuff for for mac os ten and integrate their own alternatives in as many ways as they possibly can. There are lots of ways to do that right now and that's that's pretty much possible now and in many ways it's already done things like Chrome and Gmail and stuff like, like that's pretty much done.
2: But I am worried about though. I'm worried about it actually getting worse. It's the next topic that we probably won't have time to get to in this show, but the next topic uh, maybe we'll get to next week is about Chromebooks outselling Macs in school. The problem is that Google because, you know, Apple and Google both want to do everything that everybody does. Google's like, "We should sell laptops and we should have, you know, like" and it's like, "Well, we don't have a desktop OS, what should we do?" Well, can we make a chrome os or can we put android on chromebooks like we have an os it's not really a desktop os but maybe like that everyone wants to be in everything it's it's almost kind of like but only by the good graces of google the google is so nice to you know not that they're doing it you know out of the goodness of their heart they want our (laughs) information in our eyeballs you know everything else whatever but they make their applications for ios and for the mac apple is not making facetime for android you know like it's it's not an open standard that ever you know it can't go back to that well but like apple keeps itself to its, it's stuff to its own platform when it's feasible whereas google it's more important to get its thing everywhere so we are blessed with these gifts from google but like oh i can use you know there's a there's a native quote-unquote native gmail application for ios and there's google now and there's google maps for ios even though apple took the mapping thing back and did their own native thing and i worry that someday like the, the cold war will get even colder and Google will start behaving even more like Apple and will be ev- even more siloed. And then the Mac will be uh, like, the th- even the things we enjoy now will be pulled away from me. And, and I feel like with system integrity protection and other things, uh, it's getting farther and farther away from the world where anybody could compete with built in Apple stuff. All you can really compete with is Apple applications.
0: Yeah, but I, you know, I feel like, you know, Google and Apple are both under different leadership than where they were when this feud really was at its hottest. And you know, I, I think you can look at both companies now and see that they're they're very pragmatic in in a lot of their decisions. Uh, and you know, I, I think I don't think you're ever going to see some kind of grand reunification uh, where you know they were like Tim Cook comes out and's like, oh, now we're part we've partnered with Google to replace it. Like, you're never going to see that. But I think what you will see is Apple kind of like yielding certain ground to enable people to do that kind of thing if they want to. So. You know, I'm not saying they're going to suddenly have everything this fall where like, oh, you can set your default mail to be Gmail. You can set your default browser to be Chrome. I expect we probably will get to that type of thing slowly over time as the market kind of directs Apple to do that. Like, you know, there's enough demand now. Like Apple now offers their own versions of all these different services. Google is offering their versions of all these different OSs and hardware and stuff. So you're right. There's a lot of duplication here. And that's great because the people who really love Google can go buy a Chromebook or whatever and an Android phone and get all their Google stuff. The people who really love Apple can go buy Apple hardware, run Apple software, run all Apple services. Most people are somewhere in the middle. Most people love some stuff from multiple companies and aren't purists of either company or any company. So the more that both companies do to address that giant middle where most of the customers are... The more they both really benefit, and both companies' leadership are smart enough to know that, and they're also, I think, realizing like you know, in, in the same way, like when Steve came back and gave that big speech with the Bill Gates on the big screen and and said like you know, for Apple to win, Microsoft doesn't have to lose, or or vice versa, whatever that quote was. I, I think you know, Tim Cook knows that even though it's pretty clear that like he he obviously thinks a lot of what Google does is distasteful, and he's right. And Google obviously thinks a lot of what Apple does is, you know, arrogant and technically inferior, and they're right. Uh, but the reality is, I think both companies you know. Google knows that as a services company, it has to be everywhere. It has to be where the people are, and a lot of the people are on Apple stuff. And Apple knows that a lot of its customers who buy its devices really want to use some of google stuff on them so they're both going to you know address that they are not going to let that demand go totally unanswered in in the name of like spite over a you know 10 year old battle that neither company's ceo was really part of
2: well the, but the thing the thing is that's motivating seems to be motivating apple now to to uh, bestow its gifts onto other platforms is the things that are services like Apple music. This is Apple music for Android, right? Yeah. Am I I not imagining Mm -hmm. that? So because Apple music is a service once for products that are like services, you end up using the Google rationale. Well, it's a service. And the most important thing is that we have a lot of customers, so it has to be everywhere. Right. Same thing that motivated iTunes for windows, you know, like when you're in the service mindset for your service products, the calculus is different and you end up putting it everywhere. Uh, But the other calculus, when it is like, this is the reason someone would buy a Mac, you know, or, or this is the reason someone will buy a phone when you use FaceTime or whatever, when it's, when it's more linked to hardware software proprietary platforms where it's not a service where your main goal isn't to get everyone in the world using it. You want people to buy iPhones. You want people to buy Macs when it's like your hardware business then the opposite motivation comes in. So Apple is getting a little bit of the services motivation, saying if we have services products, we need to have them more than just on our platforms if you want a large customer base. And again, Google, because they want to do everything Apple does, is starting to make hardware products. And I wonder if they say, well, normally there are our culture and our motivation, to everything we do as Google is get as many users as possible because their data is the most important thing to us and we can sell based on them and blah, blah, blah. Um, but when we do these hardware products, if we actually want to... If we can overcome our own company culture and motivate these hardware products, like to say, you have to make a great product that people want to buy, and we want to sell a lot of them, you have to think in a different mindset. Thus far, Google has not been able to get into that mindset, which is why most of their hardware has not sold like hotcakes, right? And thus far, mostly Apple's not been able to get into the right mindset to be really successful at services either. Um so as Apple learns, if Google continues to learn too, it will mean that they will start doing some of the things that I don't like about Apple not sharing their stuff. So I'm not sure the net sharing between them will be better. I think the only thing that is going to make the net sharing between them improve is for the power balance to shift. Kind of the same way that the net sharing between Apple and Microsoft really started to move once the parents power balance shifted. Once once Apple was almost going out of business, Microsoft was like, oh, Apple, I remember them all right we'll make office for you here's 150 million dollars we'll sell our shares too early and regret it um <laughs> god what i think someone did the math of what that would be worth if they had kept it anyway uh if the power bounces way off suddenly you can come to the table but right now it's like the cold war where you know everyone wants to show strength everyone wants to do anything and it's not a particularly comfortable time but yeah you're right in the meantime i will continue to use chrome and safari and the gmail and the in the web interface uh what else do i use from google google drive uh, google docs we're using it right now for uh, the show notes that marco's not looking at um the google search <laughs> it, engine it, yeah google yeah, maps Google search engine obviously it's it's a mix uh but on ios definitely it's much harder to achieve that mix and I, I worry about the mix and i look forward what i'm saying is i look forward to the time that this balance shifts in some way and that companies can go back can get out from this sort of megalomaniacal mindset that the old microsoft mindset that not only can we do everything because we are the mighty insert company name we should do everything and we're going to be awesome at it and that's a bad attitude for any company google apple or anything and it mostly leads to bad things but uh, the iphone is a rising tide that lifts a hell of a lot of boats and so far apple is not feeling the sting from that thanks a lot to our three sponsors
0: this week fracture fresh books and hover we will see you next week
2: Now the show is over They didn't even
0: mean
1: to begin Cause it was accidental Accidental. Oh, it was accidental Accidental. John didn't do any research Marco and
0: Casey wouldn't let him Cause it was accidental Accidental. Oh, it was accidental Accidental. And you
2: can find the show notes at atp.fm And if you're into Twitter Follow them at C-A-S-E-Y-L-I-S-S,
1: so that's Casey Liss, anti Marco Arman,
0: S-I-R-A-C-U-S-A, Syracuse, it's accidental. Accidental. I feel like Casey. I, I feel like I have to like save you in some way from like tripping and falling into Android. Like in the same way. Like remember, <laughs> remember, like uh, about two years ago, you started talking about not wanting a BMW, but instead wanting one of those like weird sporty new Cadillacs that's like all straight lines and angles and i'm like you look at that yes. and you're like i was like just no i i have to save you back away from this cliff i'm like i'm like holding the back of your shirt like just, no i'm not gonna let you go over this cliff like you are not do <laughs> trust me you will thank me later you're not doing this right i feel like this might be that moment for tripping and falling into the the, the google pit of insanity here
1: i i know you're being silly um but only a little bit I, and, and i'm I'm not actually looking to buy an Android phone or anything, but it it is striking to me how me, I guess I could say forced. I mean, I don't have to be a Google uh, Photos user, but you know, Picture Life is is a dumpster fire, and ever and everpix is dead, and so and I don't particularly care for Flickr. Just me. You may love it. That's fine. Um, but. I backed into Google Photos and then I started to just really love what it was providing. And it's really made me, like I said earlier, kind of question, am I holding on to apple being the best thing ever because it's just what i'm used to and i don't think so and i think that if i if i were to go android it would be death by a thousand very very deep and very wide paper cuts but but nevertheless it's made me think and then there was that great episode of um, connected this week where federico got himself uh, an android phone and had positive things to say and i think his experience um is probably what i mine would be in that you know, there's a lot here to like, but it's not enough to sway me. But man, it's it's stunned me how much I've just like subconsciously been thinking, man, this is really convenient. Having them, and all I've given them is photos. Now, granted, it's tied to my ID that probably has everything I've ever done on the internet ever, but all I've knowingly given them is my photos and the stuff that they can put together is just stunning.
0: No, I mean, like, I I think... Like what you're doing now, which is like using Apple hardware and OS's, but using selectively the Google things that you like best on them. Mm-hmm. That is generally like the the best combo for most people, I think.
1: Yeah, I agree.
2: Well, even with photos, though, don't you feel the pain of iOS integration? Like, the one of the main reasons I'm sticking with Apple Photos is well, part of it is I'm actually hoping they're going to get on the ball and start integrating some of these features, like the rumors say. But the other thing is like it's integrated with your phone and the native photos application has this stuff. And I don't, I don't, maybe I think there's a bigger barrier than there really is to like, what if I just don't use the Apple photos application? Does, does the photo picker always show you only Apple photos from the thing or did? Could...
1: Yes. The, the way I think the problem is my mental model for for better or worse is that the pictures that are on my phone in like the photos stock photos app, those are the pictures that were generated on that phone or have been beamed to that phone via airdrop or Wi-Fi from the big camera or something like that. But but it's not all your photos. Correct. And to me, something else outside of the stock photos app is all of my photos and it was picture life and now it's google photos now i'm not saying that's right i'm not saying that that's how you would treat it but that's the way i like to treat it
2: but do you have share i guess you have with with extensions don't you have a share sheet like say you say you want to tweet something and you want to tweet and it's a picture from like three years ago that's in you that's in your all my photos collection when you tap Mm -hmm. the little camera icon in your twitter application of choice does it bring up a photo picker? Do you have the option to picking from your Google Photos or do you only get to pick from the, the phone things?
1: I think only the phone things, but my workflow, let me see. Yeah, so on TweetBot, I can only choose from library. Um, but my workflow would have been, if I were to do something like that, you find the photo. The photo, photo or, yeah, yeah, find the photo on Google Photos, download it onto my phone, and then take it from there.
2: Yeah, no, I, I mean, I want it to work both ways. Like, like I said, I, it, it's either a real or perceived barrier to like the fact that Apple's photos are integrated into iOS in the most convenient possible way, and all third party things are slightly less convenient or that I have to think about more or whatever. And that's another area where eventually, like Marco said, it could be that, you know, the sort of the detente comes in and, and they start, uh, allowing you to pick hey what do you use for your photos and it just has to be conformant to this particular you know interface or api or whatever and then when you say pick photos we won't just show you your collection of quote-unquote apple photos same thing with context same thing with everything else although context is different because apple actually gives you access to the underlying data from any application so you can use different calendars and stuff anyway I, what i'm saying is i'm sticking with the apple apps in a lot a lot of cases not because i think they're the best because i would i would like to try google photos but i know that i can't try google photos without having a split brain situation where now i have two collections of photos to manage and i'm not going to do that so i just have the one collection um and you know and maybe i would upload them as like an, a redundant backup if i'm i think i'm still paying for like a terabyte of google storage for various reasons but uh but yeah i i it's a barrier it's a barrier to me trying what is almost certainly a a product that i would enjoy more than what i'm using and also i have to say a lack of a really cool native application like photos is a barrier the photos drives me up a wall but there's no equivalent to that for google photos as far as i'm aware
1: Whoa whoa, 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 slow down well what are you looking for because there's absolutely a native app but but it may not do the sorts of things that you want it to yeah
2: do. i mean like like uh, like the photos application like with all the adjustments and all the like it's not it's not that they're fancy but it's a, it's a native application rather than a weird web interface and it has all sorts of uh you know oh, no, photo arranging and, and, and printing you know booklets and doing doing all the stuff that like iphoto used to and that photos still sort of does
1: Yeah, so it does a lot, but not all of that. So it is native. And I'm sure knowing that given that it's Google, I'm sure there's web views that I'm just not realizing, but it doesn't feel like they're web views. It feels honest, goodness, native. Um, You can do some modifications. But here again, that's not something I typically do on my phone, even in the photos app. So um that that's not an itch I need to scratch.
2: I'm, I'm talking about the I'm talking about the Mac app, not the not the iOS app. The
1: oh, Mac I'm app. sorry. Uh, yeah on the on the desktop, you're absolutely right. It's all web. Yeah, uh, no. I thought you were talking about iOS. No, um, that,
2: that's what we're doing with the photos. we look go on the 5K iMac and you load photos, and that's how I sort through them to pick out the photos. I got, so, you, like, you. Year, I got Calendar you. and arranging things, and and I guess also Photo Stream. And this is sort of a family inertia in that we finally got everyone set up on Photo Stream. So now when we you know post a picture, everyone can see it, and it's so much better than every other system we've tried previously that to get pictures of like grandkids to grandparents this is the best system because we just do a thing and then a thing pops up and they see the thing and so much easier than sending them urls or knowing when they need to go there or whatever like and again if we just got them onto the google system they could do the same thing but it's like well everyone's already set up with their ios devices that it's like it's platform inertia and lock-in keeping me away from superior applications things are working sort of as designed for apple but (laughs) i i'm a little bit bitter about it
1: Yeah, I think the problem is – I shouldn't say problem, but the difference between you and I is a couple of things. One, I view the file system on my – actually, it's sitting on the Synology, but effectively on the iMac. I view the file system as the canonical representation of my photos. I don't use Photos app on the desktop. I actually really don't like it very much at all. Um, And so, to me, Google Photos is just a portable – search tool and view into that repository and that works really well for me. And I, and I've always treated my, my one true repository as segregated. Like I was saying earlier from the, from the phone and that just works really well for me. Additionally, you do a lot more stuff with your photos than I tend to. I'll share them on social media. I have a shared album for pictures that we like of Declan that we've shared with friends and family like you guys. Um, but I don't do a whole lot of heavy photo editing. Uh, I think it was Marco or somebody taught me how to do a white balance correction for when I take pictures at night. That's like a big new advancement for I me. Didn't, I
0: didn't teach you. I just said you should look into this. It makes a big difference and it's not that hard.
1: Yeah, well, okay, maybe that's well <laughs> because that
0: that was like you know, when I first started taking decent photos uh, or photos with decent cameras, like in two thousand six, two thousand seven. Like, I look back at all those photos and they're all orange because I didn't know how right. to do white balance, and I I eventually learned white balance. I'm like, oh, that makes a huge difference, and I didn't know that for a very long time. So I was basically trying yep. to like jump you up the queue of learning how to do photo <laughs> stuff. And just be like here, which me, I appreciate. Let me say it you three years. Just look at white exactly. balance.
1: No, it, it absolutely did. But, you know, but the I bring that up to say that that's about as heavy an edit as I usually get. We don't do the yearly calendar thing. We probably should. And I'm jealous of your yearly calendars or like uh, the underscores were showing us. Uh, we were up there this past weekend. They do um, yearly like photo books and we should do that. But I was asking uh, I was asking uh, Dave and, and Lauren, you know, how long does that take you? And they said well, about a week, week and a half every single year. And I don't know how they find the time for it, Um, but I wish I had it. So I guess they make the time for it. But um, I, I don't use photos heavily. I find that for me, photos are just, I want to have them to help jog my memory. I want to be able to get to a relatively arbitrary photo very quickly. So, oh, that restaurant we went to that when we were going, when we were on our trip to Paris, I'd like a picture of that. Well, I can just type in Paris in Google Photos. And maybe you can do this in regular photos, too. I, in fact, I think you can. But I could type in Paris in Google oh. Photos. Only
2: if it's geotagged and only if you actually happen to be in Paris. Like, these are all things that, <laughs> Apple, that like, right. if Apple wants to catch up. And if they're actually, you know, if all these rumors are true, they should show, hey, the next version of Photos knows what the hell's in your picture and can do something. And then it's just a competition of who does it better. Spoiler alert, it's going to be Google. But at least just having that feature <laughs> is better than not having it at all.
1: Right. So here's a great example. So um, earlier today, I forget why, but I wanted to see if I had a picture of the Rotunda at UVA. So uh, UVA is is the University of Virginia. It's where Aaron went to school. It's about an hour west of where we live. And um, their like, most famous building is a building called the Rotunda, which is modeled after the Panther theon or parthenon i always get it wrong i'm so sorry please don't email me the pentagon it's modeled yeah the (laughs) pentagon totally uh it's modeled after one of those so it's like this old old um you know kind of greek looking structure um with the columns and all that well anyway so i did a search for rotunda and i have not knowingly tagged these pictures in any way it doesn't oh never mind it does say pretty rotunda on this picture just kidding but this (laughs) but this is a terrible example um but so the file name in this case did tag it and my bad, but I have seen other situations. Just let's pretend that's not the case. I've seen other situations <laughs> um, when I haven't given Google any information about the photo, but it has figured out, oh, this is the rotunda. Well, as an example, so there the pictures of the Pantheon Parthenon, I always get it wrong. Uh, we were there in in italy i believe god federico federico is gonna be so mad anyway the point is we were at the inspiration for the rotunda and i just did a search in google photos for rotunda and one of the things that comes up are pictures of this old 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 ancient building which looks just like the uva rotunda so google has said presumably hey what does the uva rotunda look like oh this looks like that let's bubble these up as well. And you could take this either way, right? You could either say, well, this is, a, this is a false positive, or you could take that as, well, this is an ancillary picture that you may have wanted, so I'm going to give it to you anyway. And just that machine learning, which we heard a thousand times during Google I.O., it, it really does freaking work. And, and the fact that I can just search the word rotunda and get not only pictures that we've taken in front of the rotunda, but pictures we've taken in front of this, uh, this uh, other building, I just find that to be amazing, and it makes it so, so convenient, rather than having to think to myself, all right, when were we in Paris, or when were we in Rome, or what have you? Ah, uh, that was 2012. Shoot, what month was it? Uh, I think it was July. No, it was August. All right, now I got to go through every picture in August to figure out where where it was, that, or when it was that we went to Rome, and now I got to search through, okay, which day was it in this week that we were there? And now, granted... Another approach could be what I suspect you do, John, which is to catalog and, and tag and do a lot of this stuff by hand. But I don't have the patience for it, and so I love that that Google Photos can just figure it out for me.
2: Yeah, that's why I always I don't want to do all that work. I would like a reliable way to do it. Like I remember when Picasso came out with uh, face detection, I'm like, oh, that's awesome. But oh, they don't have it in Apple's Photos. I wish they did. And then Apple came out with the feature. I'm like, yeah, finally you've caught up. And then what face detection brought was a uh, fan spinning CPU grinding feature to iPhoto that nevertheless failed to accomplish the task that I wanted it for, which is basically find me all the pictures of a particular person because you had to train it and it would miss a bunch. And bottom line is my manual tagging of who's in what picture was better and faster and did not destroy my computer during the process. So it's like you brought the feature, but your implementation is bad enough that manual tagging still wins. Whereas with the Google thing, there's no way I'm going to tag everything like, you know, I'm not gonna tag all the hugs and all like the, the nighttime things and put geotags on my, you know, pictures that don't have tags because they're from cameras that that don't have a GPS in them. I'm not gonna do that. If Google can do it, it's not as if it's competing with a better manual tagging alternative. It's competing with there's no way in hell you could do this manually. And so you're not comparing it to essentially uh, you know, ninety nine percent accuracy, you're comparing it to nothing. You got nothing. Now when I'm looking for pictures like, you know, where is that picture of uh my television so I could see like what arrangement of AV equipment I had three years ago. I just have to scroll. I just have to scroll with my eyeballs and like look at the date and say like, oh, "This is around last year." And let me just sort of scroll through the pictures and look for something that looks like a TV. And sometimes you miss it. If I could just type TV, and you know, TV two thousand thirteen, Google Photos would do it. Uh, photos on the Mac will not.
1: Yeah, I just typed television twenty thirteen and I'm looking at pictures I took of the RTV, among well, other of things. Of course, of course you are.
2: Anyway, um I like face recognition. I fully expect Apple to add this feature to photos. I just hope they do better this time than last time.
1: Well and the tough thing is how does how does photos get better? At figuring out what's in the photo, because it does, it can't really aggregate what it learns over gajillions of photos. It can just do a best guess based on what's been programmed no, into they, the photos it, app. It,
2: there has to be a server side component. There
1: has well, to be. Well, right, and then I mean, at that point, how are they any better than Google? And if you put on your tinfoil hat it's not and say, better,
2: I don't. I don't. I don't consider it bad or like uh, Apple's got all my photos anyway. Where do you think they're all stored? They're, they're on Apple servers. I don't, I assume they're not even encrypted. They're just like, I'm, I'm signing up to say, here, Apple, take all my photos and store them on your cloud infrastructure. Now, Apple, you have all my photos and I'm trusting you won't do anything nefarious with them. Right. That's it. That's the deal. So I, that's not a hang up for me at all. They're like, oh, I don't want to give my photos to Google. No, I'll gladly give them to Google. The, the reasons I don't are for everything I just said, like iOS integration and sharing photos with family and all that other stuff.
1: Yeah. So like, Here's a great example. So I typed in Declan List and, and I've told Google, you know, it, it discovered that there is someone who looks like this in a lot of pictures. And I told, told Google, okay, that's Declan. And so I typed in Declan List, beach, comma 2015. And it came up with our beach trip from last year. But it interestingly also came up with a shot of Declan sitting at a pumpkin patch where the ground was indistinguishable from sand at a glance. So it has looked at this picture and said, hmm, that looks to me to be a beach. That looks to me like that's Declan in there. And it is one of the results that came back. And here again, like I said earlier, you could treat that as a false positive. But I think it's great because it shows that there is some amount of like reasoning going into tagging that picture as being at the beach. I don't know. It's good stuff. So it makes you wonder, you know, hey, would it be cool if it just searched my email and said, hey, you know, you, you better leave now for that flight that's coming up? And to be fair, what is – I forget what they call it, but Apple's doing that now Proactive as well. Proactive or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, like when I get in the car on the way home – It'll say it It sees the phone will see that I've connected to a car Bluetooth and it'll say, well, about this time he tends to be heading to my home address and it'll tell me "Yeah, oh, it'll be about eight minutes to get you home. Like yeah. that's that's awesome. And that's the same sort of thing that I'm thinking about when I say, oh, extrapolating Google Photos advantages out, you know, what what can that get me? And that, that sort of thing, oh, I see you're in the car. I know what you're probably going to do. It'll probably take you about 10 minutes. That is awesome. And it doesn't have to be Google and it doesn't have to be server-side in, in, in every single case. But I can see how in a lot of cases like photos, there are many advantages of it being server-side from a company that does this sort of machine learning all the time.
0: Every time I get into my car, proactive tells me how long it takes to get to the chicken salad deli. So it actually knows me pretty well.
1: Are you being serious? Does it really? Yeah. <laughs> That's the main place
2: you go. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would argue it's probably working as, as designed. Uh, it tells me the work one, though, I think. I feel like it tells me at times when it should know that I'm not going to work. I don't know how it should know. Like, maybe it's a national holiday. Maybe it's Christmas. Oh, you get in the car. It's, uh you know, X number of minutes to work. It's like, come on, it's Christmas. I'm not going to work.